louder than words. Like what we do, how we live, how we act, those things reflect what you and I really truly believe. We like to trust that what someone says is accurate and and truly reflects their thinking, that what they do is the true test of of what they believe and what they say. And, And yet, look in the mirror for your own life or your own heart, so often what you do, even more than what you say, reveals what you actually believe. Now that's something that anyone who follows Jesus should care a great deal about. And yet that's where also the problem lies, isn't it? We know so much more than we accept. author who has now passed away, Eugene Peterson, who writing a chapter once talked about a great danger of always learning more of what God has said, and yet, just because of being sinful humans, our learning outpaces our belief. I think that danger is true not only for pastors, but for every follower of Jesus. Where we say the right and yet our sinful actions don't match up to what we say. And this division of words and actions comes out in every church argument. It surfaces every time mom or dad doesn't love their children and show them patience. And it appears every time a Christian takes advantage of somebody else. Is there any hope for we to not have hypocrisy be the center of our thinking? Is there any hope that that when a watching world says you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, uh, that we could say, you know, that is true, but but we're trying. We don't want that to be the characteristic of our lives. That is there any way to genuinely follow James's instructions that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. Short book by Lehman will provide us with just the sort of example of, of lived out faith, of belief put into practice that you and I need to see, need to behold, need to be very short book. It's sandwiched between Titus and Hebrews, in the New Testament of your Bible. And what I'm going to tell you all is this exact sort of challenge, that when push comes to shove, what it will mean for a, for a Christian and ultimately for a church to not just talk about being a spiritual family, but to, to act like one pressure's on, when, uh, when culture goes one way and Jesus goes the other, how can we Christians in Colossae be unshakable? My conviction is that this week and next week, as we see the challenges they face and the faithfulness that they were called to, that then you and I, Christians in this tri-state beast 
city if we die, but we too can grow and see how he has passed into a breath of the Lord for us to be and to do in our lives for him. So let's turn to God's word. If you haven't already, I encourage you. You may want to see this. Philemon is one of those tiny books that I think are printed with a tiniest inner page compared to other books. This shows his biblical challenge and his encouragement. So definitely get there, browse there, however you get to God's word, and we're going to see what the Lord in Christ has to say about living the Christian life. And so we begin for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Axios, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church of Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We often do, as these letters often do, we begin with the author of the letter. Paul uh, co-writing, let's say, you know, Paul and Timothy. This is a book published now, and Paul would be in big caps. Timothy would be a little smaller right under him. This is the dynamic duo that we encounter so often in New Testament letters. And here we learn one crucial fact about each of them. Paul is a prisoner. Uh, at this point, he's likely being held in Rome, as described in Acts chapter 21. Isn't Paul's only imprisonment. Uh, frankly, this is a little bit of you know, same song, second verse. Paul ends up in prison a lot, and what does he do in prison? He wrote Philemon. He sees this as opportunity. Opportunity to encourage and challenge Christ's churches. Now, Timothy, Paul's younger counterpart, um, is present sometimes. At this point, I, I'm not sure that he's in prison, but he might be visiting Paul in prison and somehow has that connection and knows what Paul is writing, what's going on, and consulting each other over this. Uh, Timothy, as you might remember, would be Paul's younger counterpart. Uh, he's described here as and I point that out because I want you to start watching for something all throughout this book. this short letter, terms like brother, sister, fellow worker, those are going to show up again and again. And this is par for the course with Paul. He often writes this way. So I'm going to ask the question, what does it tell us about how Christians are to see one another if Paul describes it this way? Uh, Paul speaks of fellow Christians as as brothers and sisters in Christ, that tells us something very important about how we're supposed to interact with each other. Here's the challenge. How can we not just be a collection or a gathering of Christians? Let me make it personal. How can First Evangelical Free Church of East Bay not just be 
be a group of Christians who happen to occupy the same building, the same space, the same image. But instead, how can we increasingly begin to perceive one another as an actual spiritual family? That's this would it look like for us to see each other in that way? And how might, if we would do that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, our hearts changed by our Lord, if we would do that, how might a watching world see something about our Savior and our Heavenly Father? That's, that's remarkable if you think about it. But one of the the priorities that the scriptures give for the church, one of the, I don't think it's too much to say, evangelical points that's given, one of the ways that the church shows who Christ is and examples the gospel to the world, remember this, that Paul repeatedly brings up, usually at the beginning or end of his letter, is how we relate to relationships with each other, how we love one another. Do you remember what we read in the New Testament? Now, I know we are Christians, I sound summarizable, love one another. And that's not meant to be some sort of fluffy, you know, kumbaya, let's all circle around. Circle. No, this is a, a love in spite of. All the ways that we sin against each other, we wrong each other, we don't meet expectations. That's what we would be like if we were all Christians. Think of all the ways wherein you are pushed and poked and prodded every day in our lives. All the ways that you're told that you don't match up. Or, or if you do, if you happen to be whatever our culture fancies right now, all the ways in which you are better than everyone else, and you get it, and they don't. It's, it's baked into this human, sinful way of living. And so for a church to show here, right off the bat, this idea of how do we consider one another? That it's not just me, my own little spiritual island. It's not just you doing your own thing over there. But it's us together in Christ. That in and of itself tells our reality. More than that, true, but we never need less than that. And so don't miss this right off the bat. When you or I refer to each other, when we start referring to each other as a brother or a sister, that's not just a tradition. That's not just a um, kind of a hokey way, you know, are stuck about 30 years in the past. This is how we talk. No. It, it shouldn't be the reason for us to call each other brother. Instead, it should be because we mean it, because we believe it, because we're reminding each other and ourselves now as people that I'm in the pews with, as people that we gather for Bible study with, or as coffee is there, or cleanup day, or each other. Brothers and sisters,
least this letter is written to the the obvious answer, Philemon, that would be correct. I mean, that's the obvious answer is is true. But as with so many other New Testament letters, right, that the name on the top isn't the only recipient. It's not just, oh, Paul wrote this letter to this guy with a funny name, and we just happened to have it. Or, or God wanted to, you know, fill out the page count of the Bible a little more, so we have to fill that one out. No. We actually see several other recipients here. While Philemon is primarily in view, note how he's referred to, our beloved fellow worker, there's three other recipients of the letter too. We read of Ecclesia, our, our sister, probably meant in a spiritual sense. Archippus, our fellow soldier, again, probably in a spiritual sense, someone who's, who's contending for the faith. And then, notice, the church leaders and their friends. This is what Philemon, yes, but also to the body of believers gathered And in this, I want to make sure you don't miss the way that Paul sees these other believers. He's writing something personal about each one of them as he he addresses his letter, isn't he? Isn't that a sort of personal knowledge in your life as well as mine? I mean, isn't this, when when you boil it all down, isn't this the challenge of our culture and of our society? Do I belong? Am I known by anyone? Who am I in relation to others? Are those questions of identity? Right? To be known on that level, we see again for what Paul here, he knows these folks as well. Right? He's generic. Now, to whom it may concern, right? This outpost in Colossae. like for that to be the norm here in first century we would have this this knowledge of one another which can be scary right in our in our individualistic world we like to limit you know um, let me give an example it's not a tangent just an example one of the reasons that social media is a big thing in at least in the United States notice that it's because these are folks who own personalized this view of yourself out there together. Right? You do this by the pictures you choose to share and the ones you choose not to share. You do this by the details you add in on your profile and the details you leave off your profile. You're putting this very idealized picture of who you want others to see you To, to not put up the idealized picture to each other. Hey, I got it all together. Got spiritual clarity. Woke up at 3 a.m. this morning to pray. No. What would it look like to set aside those temptations from which the flesh will encourage and actually know one another? Hey, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's what I'm currently held to. I'm really struggling. Here's, 
think it's going harder than appropriate for us to do that today. Well, one way is actually maybe simpler than I thought. It would be to simply, each of us, make a commitment to focus on what Christ is doing in the life of others take notice, to pay attention to the prayer emails, to listen closely when others are speaking in the hallway or, or, or at a potluck, and then to take those things and bring them before the Lord in prayer. Because you just said you cared enough to know that commitment. And you bring that before the Lord in prayer, and I honestly believe that the Saying to someone that you love and you know they love you. You bring it to an altar of your heart. And then we all commit to that together. Our love in Christ will, will grow and will be built into, will be nurtured through this spiritual family. Not only as we should be, but also as we need to be. Now, as Paul rounds out his the letters from her to its school, and then what does he write next? It's a blessing. Verse 3. He expects his desire is for the grace and peace that, that only God can provide, and, and that Christ alone has purchased, has won for his people. He wants
Paul doesn't just you know, think some nice thoughts about Philemon. Oh yeah, this is a great guy. I know him. Praise the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? No, no. What's he doing? What's, he's praying for Philemon. And, and then he does something else remarkable. He writes about how he's praying for Philemon. Kevin, you even said you were, you were helping me. You just come back. Oh, yeah, you might need to take a talk to him. <laughs> Actually, it is. Because I hope that each of you have had this experience as well, where someone has told you how they're praying for you. That's the, the other half of, hey, will you pray for me? And then maybe someone circles around later that week.
Jordan and Scott Allen over me for salvation. That makes me so small, so so basic. And yet one thing that I have noticed about the Christian life is that it's the small foundational basic things that are used by the Lord to build a Christian life. At that conference a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that my co-leader and I, Chuck Berman, advocated, meet with guys and we'll put together these sermon outlines and we'll sit deeply, he said. And so much was said. So many of these folks who came were not other pastors, and in some ways, but were relational. As in, people like each of you, they took vacation time to come to this conference and be critiqued by a bunch of pastors. That makes us small. And it is good that churches are united behind their God's name. And one of the things that we come back to again and again and again, you want to handle God's word well? You don't need to go to seminary. Great seminary is great. You don't need to know Hebrew and Greek. I'm pro-Hebrew and Greek. Wonderful, strong, makes good translations in English. Again, churches pay attention to that. Let God work in your heart. Let God work in your life. It's a real way to build. All right, well, what's it saying about that heart? Many leaders are used to these things. Let me show the Lord in Christ what is his fundamental things. That's how you grow. And that's not just true for people coming to a conference and preaching and teaching. That's true for every Christian wanting to grow in Christ. Notice, if you think back to any time you've read through the Gospels, when it talks about discipleship, it doesn't come away with like this 28-step plan of, well, you've got to do this and these things and don't be bad. And what does Jesus say? Come, follow me. for someone else and compel them out of your holy will, but Paul does it here, and it is mercy and grace. I believe the Lord will use anything God has for you to build you up. That's how you grow. Second, did you notice how Philemon's reputation brings joy to Paul? And it gave Paul something to pray about, and what was it? Nothing flashy. It's not like Philemon had just written a new bestseller and he's flying off the shelves and every Christian's doing a study on it. No. Well, you know, Philemon just he led this revival meeting in Colossae and there's so much sacred in the gospel and the, the, the house church thing's too small. We've got to have a bigger building. No. Paul's not doing that. love and faith was affecting everything that he did to change how he related to to Jesus and to Christ's people. And Paul sees that and he encourages Philemon
Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, right? Speaks about how children, people are given some very real things, spiritual things, that really none of us need. But the poor are the people that should be shared Christ's compassion. And we see in that same sort of connection here. Philemon wasn't just someone who talked about loving Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. Mark it on my Christmas. he was someone who actually did love Jesus. And the evidence for that is seen in his actions towards Christ himself. And Paul was able to see that. This is one reason why folks who say that they love Jesus but not the church need to think deeper and reconsider. Christ loves his church so much that he died for it. He cares that much for his people Small faith comes, but great 
slavery prayer is this. For Paul's prayer is that Philemon's actions would be an encouragement to those around him. So we move on to the final verse that we leave us with a sign. It is how you live, live as Christians. Because the way that you go about your Christian life is as an encouragement to others. Right? Could, could someone watching you be encouraged? days that you would, like that camera's everywhere, so if someone was watching the camera feed of your life, would they be encouraged to turn to the Christ? And if the the answer is no, then what makes you think so? What meaning lands think? I guarantee in the feed of my life, like all of yours is going to have places on which I could hit the edit button. But in light of that, what are ways that you are being encouraged in your life? That you could be a, a Philemon of encouragement. That brings me to our final point this morning in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Philemon's faithfulness matters not just for his own sake, but also for the sake of others. Let me say that again. I think that's so many things in these first few verses. That's more radical than we think. Philemon's Christian walk is not just about him and Jesus and what he wants, and the, and the places he wants to grow. All that's there, that's true, but Philemon's Christian walk also affects other people, and other people in Paul and even Thessalonica. In our hyper-individualistic society, we like to think that each person's actions are their own. They don't affect anyone else. It's my story. It's my life. I do what I want. Entirely untrue. 100% wrong. That's true, though. Some of you have known great sorrow over the actions of your friend Stuart or your parents, the things people text you, social media posts you wish you could have ignored because you, right? Their actions affect you. Parents, some of you know the blessings of, uh, of faithful children. And it, it's a blessing to you, isn't it? Not just to, to them. The workers, we know what it is to have a great boss, or some of you, you know what it is to have a dishonest one. That changes your, your entire outlook on life, doesn't it? Our actions do matter. They affect other people. And with Philemon, his life-honoring actions affect other people too. And Paul commends us for this, and Paul speaks about how he himself is encouraged by this. So, we close. How could we refresh the hearts of 
all of them. And then let them write biblical words and let them use mentioned a few ideas already. Let me let me add one more to that. Most of us don't like the limelight. Uh, we, we don't like to be on stage. We don't like to have the focus on us. It's, it's very true here at Faith Church. And it's not a bad thing, let, let me say that. It's not a bad thing at all. It's not a problem with our church. That's how the Lord has made it. But it does present a because it's, it's hard, not impossible, but it's hard to make disciples that others can't see your life, that they can't see how you yourself are a disciple. And so I want to ask this, let the Holy Spirit be there answering in your mind, but is there a part of your Christian life that you could open up to somebody way. I, I don't mean the I know we get it, but that's not what I mean. I mean, is there some part of you you could open up? Maybe it's just someone here. Maybe it's just someone at work or at school because you want to do some real spiritual good here or for Now that might well be uncomfortable. Okay? Ask the Lord to make you willing to be an example of Lord, to, to put your focus on your Savior and on that other person rather than on yourself. Because I believe that God may well do this same kind of call and command and encouragement in us in our congregation. That we would trust that call and command to be obedient. mentioned last week, somewhat awkwardly, um, how encouraged I was by the pastor's appreciation. You know, the, the, the cards were wonderful, you know, thank you for being distributed and everything else, but thank you, thank you, thank you. But the words were wonderful. The words are what are sticking with me. They're what's bouncing through my head. Because in what you shared, they're often if not, oh, Kevin, you're amazing, you did everything right. And that's, that's true. But it was, it was here's how the Lord is using you. Here's how the Lord's at work in you. Here's how we see you growing. And as I've thought about that for the last couple weeks and in this awkward sermon, I thought, what would the pastor be saying to me? What if that would be the norm for our church? What if Full C3 would be the kind of church where that sort of, of encouragement and building up is the norm for all of us. Three times here, one time in two years, four times in six. What would the Lord say to us? 
that was set up in the Word of Alma, the testimony that we could give our unsaved friends, all of our children, unsaved friends and coworkers, that we could just even encourage them, help grade them, fellowship them. Thank you for all the ways that it already 